Hallelujah. Well, we want to talk about a few more steps about stop the self-destruction. You know, man is his own primary enemy. Whether it's because he chooses to not use faith, or he chooses not to even have faith, or if he chooses not simply to use that faith. But in any realm, especially with believers, we are our own worst enemy. The devil uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes, as well as fear and intimidation upon our life. And when we get used to that, most of the time we stop recognizing that it's even him. And we build in us a mechanism of self-destruction, of self-shutdown, self-preservation. And so what that simply means is that many times we know the answer, but because we are intimidated by the situation that we're already in and that we presume that God is just going to deliver us if we just stay ignorant and neglect it, and we're going to come out of it, and that's not true. But what happens is we get this, and since we create patterns, how many of you know that we are creatures of pattern. We are habitable creatures. You know, we are all the time talking about renewing our mind and getting things straight because we want to some way establish some humanistic pattern when it really should be that it's really developed and set in us because of our relationship with God. David said, man, I was so glad when he said, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Well, it wasn't just a pattern of, I go to the synagogue on Sunday. It was an expression of his intermost relationship with God. You know, I don't have to get up on Sunday and be encouraged, honey, you got to preach, you've got to go, you're the pastor. No, I want to go to church because that's where we meet God on a monthly basis or a weekly basis with our families, some of you monthly basis, but we meet. And some of it is because of the habit, of, because you have to work in your schedule and stuff like that. And there is no condemnation in that. But if you're laying home every other week, you know, then it's time for you to change your habit. Amen? All right. So uh, let's turn our Bibles to Luke, the uh, 14th chapter and verse 28 through 33. <clears throat> For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and count the cost, whether we have sufficient, whether he have sufficient to finish it, least happy after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, setteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sending an ambassage, 
yep, ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever is he of you that forsake not all that he hath cannot be my disciples. Now here we have a basic, basic element of the successful disciple life. The, the successful disciple life simply is this, that everything must be considered done for the pursuit of the highest value and the calling of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is anything else than the primary basis of the value system in our life, we will never endure, we will never pursue, and we will always cave in. Now, these things talk to us about prices being paid. They talk to us about the value, not only of the value of who we serve, because what we accomplish glorifies him. And if we set, in, set ourselves out into motion or set ourselves to a task or start believing for something and we tell other people and then we collapse, what that reveals to them is that God will not help us get to the end and that God is not interested in doing what he said he would do and that God never ever came to your rescue. Now you say, how does that do? What you do is that when we start these things and we don't finish them, the world sees God as the one that never brought you through. And they'll mock God and they'll mock you. You'll become a proverb. He, there he is going at it again. Well, he failed last time. Let's see how long he'll last this time. But not only does it bring the world's scrutiny into us and their mockings. And how many of you know that when people start mocking you, it gets tough? Sure it does. Not, not really tough. I, I really hate to use that word because in, in America, we just don't have tough situations. We, we just don't. We, we are living in a blessed land, and it's not tough being a Christian in uh, America. Oh, well, you just don't know. Absolutely, I don't know our petty battles and our petty temptations. I, you're absolutely right. We all go through them, and no matter how intense they would be, nothing's uncommon to man that God will not make a way of escape. So most of what we go through in America is that we're under pressure that people don't like us because we're Christians, and that just makes us cry. And really, that's not tough at all. But here it says that when a man purposes to build, in other words, he gets started and he doesn't have enough to finish. In other words, there's a price to pay to keep a victorious mindset and active life in you. Are you willing to pay the price for what you start? If you aren't willing to pay the price, please don't start it because what will happen is it will harm you and your testimony. See, we have to be committed to a certain degree or a certain level of living by faith. Now, most of our levels, and, and I'm telling you why people are destroyed, 
And if you want to change that, you can. But people are destroyed because they start things and don't finish them. And so when you get to a certain point, we stop producing or living by the faith that it took when we started the battle. If you don't want to fight, don't start the fight. Amen. Don't start it. Because as soon as you put faith into motion, immediately the devil cometh. If you are not ready for him to show up at your house, if your family is not able to not be succumbed or overcome by the pressures of the adversary, then don't start the fight. Now, the Bible says that he starts to build and he doesn't have enough to finish it. Well, it's talking about the man doesn't have enough to pay the price. Now, he might have had enough when he started, but maybe when he got started, uh, he saw a new chariot, saw a couple nice donkeys, saw a nice set of clothes, and he started using what he was using his money for, started using it for other things. And realize when you start a, a fight of faith, when you start an action of faith, the devil is going to come. And he's going to bring things into your life that are going to demand that your focus gets off of your pursuit. Why? Because if he can get your eye onto something else, it is the light of the whole body. And your whole body will shut down and follow that other beam. You have got to be determined that if you're going to go to war, that you are willing to risk it all to win against the percentages. Amen. In other words, we have to have some type of stick to in our Christian faith. Did you hear what I said? Stick to too many people are easily succumb to powerless pressure. In other words, figments of your own imagination from a powerless devil. He tells you what's going to happen. He shows you what's going to happen. But he understands that anything that happens is totally out of his hands and is in yours. You have to know what you're going to do, and you have to know that it's going to be longer than a week, going to be longer than two weeks, going to be longer than a month. It's good. Look, it takes longer than that to unwrap a new car, let alone for faith to bring one to you. I'm not saying you shouldn't believe for that. I think you should believe for that. But if you're going to believe for that, sit down, hunker down, and let the seasons of the process run by you and do not be detoured by time. Amen. All right. So we want to make sure that we get some stick to Don't start digging the foundation until you're ready to finish the house. Pretty simple. All right. And this is nothing new. If you go to John, the 8th chapter, and verse 31 through 32, Jesus tells us 
this. Could I have that on the screen, please? And Jesus said unto those Jews which believed in him, on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Stick to itiveness. Next verse. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, there are two things. You discover the truth, you must pursue that truth, and you must stick to that truth if you're ever going to see the freedom that is in it. Amen? Some of us get off on getting the euphoria when we start the journey. The euphoria is not what you're after. The freedom in the truth is. And if you're not ready to be free, listen, every time you lose a battle, the enemy gains knowledge over your deficiencies. Every time you fail in finishing a project, the devil marks where you failed at. And I'm telling you, when the Bible says that they're taken captive at his will, is because we have given him the power to do so. And it's really not that he's taken at his will. He simply knows when to step in because he knows when you're going to cave. One of the things going to happen when you start fasting and seeking God, about the first two days you're going to have a fight with your wife and you're going to say, well, what's the sense of it? I just tell you strife and division. Oh, be quiet. Just say you're sorry, suck it up, and continue your fast. Just don't be overthrown because you got a fight in a fight with your wife. Look, you've been in fighting with her for 30 years. Come on, get over it. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then get a ticket for makeup at the end of the fast. Say you owe me one. So anytime you want to fight, just go ahead and have at it. But you're going to have omis at the end of the fast. Hallelujah. Moving right along. Now, let's go to Luke, the 18th chapter, 1 through 8. 18, 1 through 8. So let's not start something that we don't finish because you will build in yourself a failing mechanism. You'll do it. Now, Matthew, uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8, it says this. And he spake a parable unto them, and to this end, that men ought to always pray and not to faint, saying there was, a, was in a city a judge which feared not God, nor regardeth man. Feareth not God, nor regardeth man. Do you know there's one thing in the Bible that does not have to be judged nor give an account unto God. Your circumstances and situations. If they destroy you, they will never stand before God. If they imprison you, they will never stand before God. Because they are inanimate objects that have no identity, no, uh, what do any solidness but in your mind now let me say that again your circumstances are real certainly but the power of a circumstance only exists 
in your humanistic mind that is void of faith. Remember, he that believeth to him all things, all things, all things are possible. Circumstances are not afraid of God. Situations are not afraid of God. And they have a, a program that when they go into motion, the devil will certainly use them and so forth. But do you know the devil is subject to God, but certainly he's not afraid to tangle with God. Oh, well, I don't know about that. Well, he wars against Jesus. In his own mind, he thinks he will win. But we've already got the end declared. Amen? Do you know that there is a whole sect of Satan worshipers in our world that believe that Satan will win the battle? Can you imagine that? Will win the battle. Why? Because their Bible tells a different outcome. So there are many things in the earth that are not afraid of God. I'm, I'm, absolutely. So what you do with that circumstance or that situation, that course of action that the world may have set up is not afraid of God. If it runs its course, it's not answerable to God because God has given you the ability to turn it around. No weapon formed against you will prosper. These are not mere Christian linguistics that we have been given as cliches when we're in a battle. These are true facts of life, of the Christian's belief system that if you believe God, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Whether it's a weaponry of a course of action that is systematically born out of the world's way, or a systematic attack of the devil, or a systematic failure of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind, doesn't matter where it comes from. Those are all enemies that war against your soul. But you do not have to be defeated and beat up by them. Yep, some of you are saying, oh my God, never heard that. Well, you're right. Hallelujah. And then it says this, and there was a widow in the city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but towards, but afterward he said unto himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith and shall not God avenge his own elect which cry night and day unto him notice the condition that cry night and day they that start something and will not relinquish the right to have it come to pass and then he says night and day in him though he bear with them I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Notice that in God's time frame, no matter how long you've been battling, it's speedily. 
And then it says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, he shall find, shall he find what? Find what? In other words, will he not find people pursuing or being persistent in what God has called them to do? We have to have a spirit of some type of perseverance. Perseverance. Amen? Too many times we as Christians are bullied by things that aren't even a bully. They, they, they just aren't big enough to take us down. Now let's go to Luke 9, 57, and then we'll get on to another subject. Luke 9, 57, and, uh, yeah, 9, 57. We'll go through verse 62. <clears throat> and all of these are talking to us about our Christian life. Luke 9, 57. And it came to pass that as they went into the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. The start of faith. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What's Jesus telling him? There are things that you're going to have to sacrifice to do what you just told me. Are you ready? And then in verse 59, and he said unto another, hey, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying? If I'm not a top priority in your life, you'll never follow me. Though you do what you just said, and if I give you leeway, to say that's more important than the kingdom, you still will find another excuse. And then he says, and another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said to him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus telling us in these scriptures that we just read? Make sure that you're willing to pay the price to obtain the prize. When this happens, you will bring mockery from the world against your life. Now, ultimately, it will begin to shift towards God. But it will come up on you first. Secondly, you are going to end up hurting your conscience because your failures have to do with your conscience. You remember what's going on. And Hebrews 10, 23 says that you need to cleanse your conscience for your faith from an evil conscience that you may have the boldness of faith. But if you keep failing, your conscience gets wounded. It gets burdened down because you can't forgive yourself. It's not that God doesn't forgive you, but it's your conscience that bears record against your own faith. And then you will burn, build in you, because we are habitable people, you will build in you a failure mentality. You'll say, I tried that. I went there. I did that. 
And what you'll end up being is a shell of who you should be in God. Now, how do we get over that, Pastor? You know what? If I was you, I'd go on a fast. I wouldn't make it too long because you have that failure mentality in you. And that fast, if you do not complete it, will condemn you again. So if you go on a one-day fast, then two days later, go on another day fast. And what you do is this. You begin Isaiah 58, 6 to break that band of wickedness. Break that yoke off of your head. You begin to break it off of your neck and God begins to let the oppressed go free. And then, and then your light, is, it doesn't belong to God, it's your light will spring forth. Your health shall spring forth. In other words, faith can be revived even though it's been bound, even though it's been yoked, even though it's been oppressed, and even though it's caused you to bear burdens that you should not bear. And you can get free of that. Now, it's going to take work. But don't settle for less. Amen. And so these are the self-destructive things that we go through. So let's not do it. Okay, let's go to, whew, hallelujah. Mark the fourth chapter, verse 24. And it's been entirely too long on that one. Mark 4.24, and we're going to talk about half-heartedness. Half-heartedness. Jesus told us, and the commandment bears record, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. It didn't say, love him which, with what you have left. Yeah, you say, well, you're talking about really being a Christian. Wonder, wonder, hallelujah. And verse 24 says this. Uh, Mark, what's that's Matthew. Mark, the fourth chapter, verse 24. This is a very, uh, what I want to, shaking scripture when we look at it. Verse 24, Mark 4, 24. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you might it, it shall be measured to you again. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Now notice, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come and take what I gave you. No, I'm going to come and I'm going to take what I gave you and I'm going to take some of what you've already had because you aren't using it anyway. Now you say, oh, that's so harsh. Oh, no, it's miserable. It's mercy. Why? Because you are accountable for everything you know. So Jesus, in his mercy, see, you think he's mean. He's not mean, he's merciful. In his mercy, he comes and takes what he gave you. Now you're not accountable to it. But he also takes what you are not being accountable or doing that he's already put in your heart. Why? 
He's merciful. Oh, he's mean. No, he's merciful. He's saying if you don't do this, guess what? You are going to be held accountable for it. I'm taking it from you as if you never heard it. And since you have neglected that which I've already put in you in past times, you've let it go to waste, I'm going to clean your heart out so that you are not accountable for not doing it. See, that's mercy. But half-heartedness causes God to do that. Half-heartedness causes God to take things out of your heart that you have neglected to fulfill. You hear something, you want to hear it, hallelujah, but you do nothing with it. Jesus will not leave you, if any way possible, hypocritical. Some men's sins go before them. Some men's sins follow them. And what happens is this. It's a twofold, two-edged sword. If you are not doing what Jesus called you to do or revealed for you to do, then understand what's that called? Disobedience. What's disobedience? Sin. What does it develop into? Those that have unbelief in their heart and it ends up being a hardened heart according to Hebrews. So what does Jesus do? He protects you. He's trying to keep you from having a hardened heart, disobeying God, and entering into the clutches of unbelief. What mercy. And then you reap. If you're not doing, understand, obedience the Bible says if you're obedient and willing, you'll eat of the fat of the land. But if you're disobedient, you're not going to eat of the fat of the land. The sword will always be against you. Isaiah 1, 17, 18, 19, and 20. So you understand that when you're in disobedience, that sword of the land, instead of producing for you, will war against you. It'll bear witness against your disobedience. Just like if you don't praise God, the rocks will cry out. And everything that we see is a living substance. It has come from God. It has a voice. It has a history. It has a record. Ask a tree. Ask a rock. Ask dirt as you start digging it. The layers of record. Absolutely. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this, but so you will suffer here that which you thought you could reap from will rebel against you because of your disobedience, hardness of heart, and the root of unbelief. So it's important that Jesus takes this away from you. The other fact of it is, is that some men's sins go before them here on earth. They reap them but some men's sins follow them. So, at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll experience fire, yet your soul will be saved. But the dangers 
of everything producing after its own kind, if Jesus does not get that out of you, he cannot stop the process of the kingdom. Every seed produces after its own kind. What a merciful God. And I mean a merciful God. It's not meanness at all. It's mercy. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to Malachi 2, 1 and 4. You mean Malachi has something besides chapter 3? Yes, hallelujah. <laughs> Malachi uh, 2, 1 through 4. And, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. And if you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your... What? Really? Oh, gosh. Blessing. Okay. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Now, where did God curse it? What well, God's actively cursing. No, no, no. Where did God curse those that take half-heartedness in the law. We're not under the law. We're not under ceremonial law. But law, the Ten Commandments and the law of society and the law of worship are all laws that if transgressed, they are sin. Now, what happens is this. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and, and all of your strength. If you do it half-heartedly, you've broken that commandment. That's what God is telling them. Because you broke the first commandment. The blessings that you have incurred by being my priestly people. The curse will overtake it and consume it. Did God do it? He doesn't, is not actively like pursuing and saying I'm cursing those people. But he's watching over his word and performing it and bringing it to pass. Could again, amen. Half-heartedness is a doorway to the curse into your life. People that say, well, you know, I, I don't really want to pay tithes, but you know, the, praise God, that's the only way I'm going to be blessed. Keep your money. Keep your money. Because it's half-hearted. And whatever blessing is poured out upon you, it will be consumed by a curse. You are cursed with a curse because you have done it the wrong way. Now, God won't accept half-hearted tithes, but be of good courage. We will. Man. All right. Let's look at verse 3. Behold, I will corrupt... Oh, wow and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with the Levites, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, does God send that covenant to hurt the Levites? No, he sends it to call them back 
and to call them back to wholeheartedness. Now, I send this commandment to you so that you will realize it and turn back to your covenant. You are Levites. Don't forget who you are. Live like you are. That's what God is saying. All right. Well, I'll just tell you this one. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Now, you might say, well, man, I, I just don't know, Pastor. I feel so beat up. Get over it. I am not beating you up. I am telling you the truth. Now, the truth is like a two-edged sword. It'll set you free, but it'll also wound you with a wound that only God can heal. Amen. All right. Now, let's go to this one. You'll all say, oh, man, we already know that God. Pastor, I know it. All right. Let's go to James 122 to 125. James 122 to 125. Could I have that on the screen? Because some of our pages are so worn out at that passage of Scripture, we have forgotten what it is. James 122 says this, But be you doers of the word, and not hearers only. Now a deceived man is easily taken captive at the devil's discretion. Right? Now, who causes that doorway and who causes that trap and who causes that enablement and empowerment? There you go, right there. Deceiving your own self. Deceiving your own self. Somebody look up that word. Who's got an iPad? Who's got a phone? Uh, you've all, and look it up for me. Wayne, you got yours? Not Wayne, I'm telling you. That guy's going to, he's going to be like one of them boards. He's going to turn into a phone one day. All right, Wayne, what does deception mean? Deceiving your own selves. Beguiled. Beguiled. In other words, brought to a place of uncleanness. By deception. What is hearing the word and not doing it? Grab your neighbor and then grab the pew arm right beside you because it's going to shake you. It is faithlessness. It is faithlessness. We are helping the devil rid the world of faith. Let's go to the next verse. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In other words, he's seeing what's going to happen. He's seeing the outcome. And it says, for he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now his identity has changed. Next verse. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. How many of you want to be cursed tonight? I want to pray with you. 
Raise your hand if you want to be cursed. I, I just, I, I want to use my faith and just pronounce it over you. You don't want me to agree with a curse for your life. Yet when we read the word and we don't do it, we invite the curse upon our life. Blessing and cursing is not in the hands of God. You get to hear and you get to do. And if you hear and you do, you'll be blessed. Now, that is God's desire. The devil's desire is that you hear and don't do, so the curse will come. How many of us know the answer to our problems? We've heard it and we don't do it. That's why the curse rules many Christians' blessed life. Come on, hallelujah. Yep, praise God. See, sometimes people think knowledge is great. Knowledge on its own without faith simply puffs a man up. And he thinks he knows something, but because of the lack of faith, he really knows nothing. First Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Well, hallelujah. Well, let me see. Let's go to... Whew. I hate to do this. What time is it? Oh, I got time. All right. Let's go to Matthew 7, 1 through 5. We all know this, that we should not judge others. It's a horrible thing. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye might, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. Then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, how can we break that systematic failure mentality, that systematic faithlessness, that systematic hearing and not doing? One thing you don't see in that scripture, and most people don't ever realize, it doesn't say that it's wrong to have a brother look into the log jam of your eye. In other words, you that have spouses, you that have friends, ask them, what do you see in my life? Now, a true friend is going to do away with the criticism. And he's going to look with a loving desire. Because behind every log jam, the whole log jam is based on one log. Not based on 10,000. It's based on one log. If you can get to the root of the log 
that has rooted itself into that stream, you move that log, and that log jam will disappear. Absolutely. Most log jams in creeks and rivers that we have, you cut the limb off that's holding it. That limb and that log jam will be gone in two or three days. It'll just erode itself. But the problem is, is that we allow those because we're afraid that people will see something that they don't like. Anybody that loves you already sees what they don't like. And they are bearing your burdens. And they just don't have the liberty. Confess your faults one to another. How about discover your faults one from another? Well, if I was married, which I am, and I would say, honey, why can't I get beyond that? I would expect her to pray. I would expect her in some loving manner, which I'm not sure that would happen, but she would look into my eye. And I would not look back into hers and say, well, you do the same thing. That's self-defense. Don't be afraid of finding out what is wrong with you. Amen. Amen? Just don't be afraid. Oh, but, but, so you're insecure. What's one more nail to the coffin of insecurity going to do? Look at yourself and say, this is what needs to be changed. Why are we afraid to judge ourselves? There is life in judgment. There's condemnation without it. Come on, why are we afraid? What will people will oh please, we already know. So let's just go to our spouses and go to our friends. And if they're critical and they say, well, you know, I've been one to tell you this a long time. Close your eyes and punch him and write him off of your friend list. Now, I'm not, I'm not in, inciting violence. That, that was just, I'm sorry, that was my personal opinion. But I'm just saying, if we love one another and we can tell people our faults, can we not ask them to help me find them? There was a man that came to Jesus and said, help my unbelief. He said, look at my life. Tell me what I'm doing. I want my son healed. Tell me what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with asking questions and pursuing answers and helping and teaching one another. So, we don't want to criticize people. I don't want to find people's in little log jams. If they just got a little thing in their eye, God's already told me. They're light years ahead of me because I got a log jam in mine. I need somebody to look in there. And it may just be the thing that lets the rivers of life flow again. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Let me uh, quickly get through this one. Hebrews 4.16 says this. Come boldly into the throne of grace that you might obtain grace and enablement to do what you can't do on your own. 
and receive, obtain grace and mercy in the time of your need. Now, that's a guaranteed thing. If you will come there, you will obtain. And then the Bible says in Mark eleven twenty three and 20 through 25, it says this, that believe that when you pray, that you receive what you've prayed before you see it. And then John 16, 23 through 28 says this, from now on, don't ask me anything. Whatsoever you ask the Father, he will give you. And I tell you, I won't pray for you anymore. But you now have access to God. And he loves you as he has loved me. And every answer of prayer has been because he loved me. Every answer to your prayer is because God loves you. But you have to pray it. Now, don't pray things that you're not willing to fight to see to come to pass. I thought about the other day, <clears throat> people pray in the Holy Ghost without intent. Prayer without intent is simply a waste of faith and a waste of oxygen. Prayer that has no intent goes nowhere. So when men say this, God, I just pray that, hallelujah, Father, you'd bless so-and-so, praise God, and then you just go on. I hope if I asked you to pray that you get more intense than that. And you would tell people, well, I prayed for him. Like it was your own? Like it was your own son? Like it was your own family? Like it was your own home being repossessed? How did you pray for me? Well, I prayed you, I was getting in the car, and you know, adjusting the seat belt, and, I, and you came to my mind, so I said, oh, you know, God bless so-and-so. There was no intent in that. That was a conscience appeasement. And we do that with tongues. You know, can you do 50 things and still pray in tongues? Well, I guess you can. But which one are you more intent on? Doing the other 100 things or praying in tongues? Now, I'm not belittling tongues. I'm belittling the lack of intention. Paul said, if I pray in the spirit, then my spirit prays. If I pray in the natural mind, natural mind prays. But when I bless the food, what is the intention of speaking in tongues over your food? You're blessing your food. There is an intention. We don't just go into a restaurant and everybody sits down and starts eating. Well, we do really, and we forget to pray. But then we stop. Somebody just doesn't say, oh, I prayed while we were coming in. Would you eat that food with that kind of prayer? Absolutely not my house. Absolutely not. You have an intent. And when you don't have an intent, there is no prayer. Hallelujah. All right, Daniel. Let's go to Daniel quickly, and then we're going to wrap up. Praise God. I'm, hallelujah. 
Daniel 10.1 says this. Now, this is what happened when Daniel prayed. And in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel whose name was called Belatheshar. Yep, Belatheshar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, Daniel was mourning three full weeks. That means he was fasting and ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in his mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now let's go down to verse 10. And then the angel comes to Daniel and he says, Behold, and hand touch me, Daniel says, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I sent now, now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, don't be intimidated. For from the first day, somebody say from the first day, that thou didst set thine heart intent to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But, but, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help, and I remained there with the king of Persia. And, and I remained there with king of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter day, yet the vision is for many days. Now we see that when prayer is prayed, that it can be heard the first time if the intent is right. Now, I know that we don't hear much about that. We always just, you know, we just almost babble prayer. But babbling is not intent. Yes, absolutely, it's not intent. So, the angel says, that when you prayed and set your heart, the intent of petitioning God from the first day, not the 10th day, not the ninth day, not the 20th day, the first day God heard you. From the first day I was instructed of God to bring your answer. But there is a war in the heavenlies and I encountered the principality, the ruler of darkness over this region region of Persia and I was in confrontation with him and he he was mighty there were multitudes of scraps and battles finally God saw my self affliction or humbling of my flesh empowering prayer and Michael came and we confronted that king. And now I am here. 
to give you the answer. There is going to be a fight in prayer. But don't start prayer unless you're ready to see the end. Could it get an amen? Yet I, I know that it, it's, it seems tough. It's not tough. But, you know, sometimes we have to do things right in order to get a result. Amen? If I'm sick, if I'm diseased, don't pray for me while you're grocery shopping. Stop it. Don't do that to me. Stop. You're there shopping. That's your intent. Now, if you want to pray for me, finish shopping. Go home. Put the groceries up and get intent on using your faith to bring me an answer. Please. That's why sometimes you, you'll see in miracle service and in crusades. And I'll tell people, it's, it's lifting. I, I just need, let me pray for everybody. Father, in the, why? Because once it's gone, now it's my faith trying to get you a miracle. You say, well, doesn't it work? 99% of the time, no. Absolutely not. There's entirely difference of the faith or the gift of faith possessing me to move in the miraculous as an apostle to a nation than it is for me to use my faith as an individual. So, we do what we can do, but as soon as that anointing leaves, understand. Now, it was no longer I, but Christ. But now it's you. Now, it's not that I won't pray with people, but I'm just telling you the results are way down the scale. So, let's just think about those things. If you aren't willing to fight the fight, if you aren't willing to have the principalities and rulers over this area to resist your prayer, if you aren't willing to stand to see the salvation of the Lord, don't pray the prayer. You see, people come forth and get saved. And as soon as temptation, tribulation, hardship arises, immediately they are offended. That word offended means immediately they forsake the faith that has just been born in them. Now, it's better never to have known me than to have known me than to have left me. So already... That man's state is worse than it's ever been. But they don't come back. They don't continue in discipleship. And so, what was their intent? Everybody that prays the prayer, now I'm going to say this, and you listen to what I'm saying, doesn't get saved. Just because you lead them up here and talk them into it, and they repeat a few words doesn't mean that they have been filled with faith. Because the key of faith is this. Are you willing to leave everything? Are you willing to forsake it all? Are you willing to let the dead bury the dead? Are you willing not to set your house in order, pick up, and have a new order? 
That's the price of discipleship. Well, Pat, you talk like it's hard. It's not hard. It's wholeheartedness, though. Half-heartedness is not going to get you to heaven. Thank God for Baptist. Because about this time, Baptist would be jumping up and running around this place, shouting, doing cartwheels and all that kind of stuff. Hallelujah. But please understand, these things are serious. And the body of Christ over the years, because we have not been taught, and there are 50 other ways to destroy you. I just don't, you know, we could go on and on, but you need to seek out what is destroying my faith. And then what we have to do is we have to stop self-destruction. I don't want to be my worst enemy. I don't want to be the enemy of God. I want the devil to be my adversary, and I want him to be afraid of me. Amen? Amen? So I don't want to give him any leeway. So let's do wholeheartedness. You know, sometimes people ask me, hey, will you pray for me? And I'll tell them, uh, come back next Sunday. Because I'm just telling you, my brain is already disconnected. What, what, give them a mercy prayer. They need more mercy. Amen. They need God's hand. That's right. And if I'm not interested in it, why am I praying? If I'm trying to do it just to get rid of them, why am I doing this to someone? These are people that I'm supposed to love. Why are we doing it? Some woman said to me one time, well, I don't worry about my kids. I've committed them to the Lord. I said, have you? Yes, she said, they're in God's hands. Whatever happens to them, praise God. I said, no, if you commit them to the Lord, it means that you're going to raise them the way that his word says to raise them. And by observing them, you ain't beating them near enough. Yeah. So we can't do something half-heartedly. Let's do it wholeheartedly. Amen. And if you're going to pray for me, pray with me for intent. Don't, don't just kill time and say, well, I just prayed for an hour. Well, well, that's great. As long as your intent was for that hour, for a purpose, God heard you. But if you're just babbling, don't waste time. Store it up until you're ready to get intent and then pray for me. 